0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 25 of the 2-Pad Stack Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Ace Chiseling. Um, yeah, so really stoked to be back this week. Apologies for the episode being out late today. Uh, I had some uh, technical difficulties. My PC that I usually use to do recording and editing decided that it wanted to go across the rainbow bridge for computers and uh, no longer exist, if you will, so... Um, thank goodness it was a pre-built that I bought with a two-year warranty about one year and eight months ago. So uh, just kind of waiting for the whole RMA warranty return process to uh, get going there. But you know my uh, my problems are not your problems. You guys are here to hear some hockey talk. So um, we've got a very fun episode for you today. Um, unfortunately, because of said technical problems and uh, commitments schedule-wise, Burge was not able to be here for this portion of the recording. But Burge stepped up and really helped me out and the podcast out by hosting an interview that I uh, was not going to be able to host of a, a previously agreed-upon time with a really awesome guest this week. Um, we're happy to have Shane Malloy on from Hockey Prospect Radio. Um, and he also is involved in some uh, other aspects of scouting and amateur scouting and all that good stuff uh, in the hockey world. So um, we have a great interview with him talking about providence and the relationship between providence and boston the bruins prospects uh and more so uh stay tuned for that it's gonna be a lot of fun uh as a reminder uh two Pad stack is brought to you in partnership with our friends at primetime productions um primetime has a fantastic assortment and array of sports media for you to enjoy we've got articles we've got podcasts all different types of stuff for you to take a peek at so make sure you check out prime time on uh twitter and uh, you'll be able to see that platform used to send out all of the content that the prime time team is putting together and as always we are uh also brought to you by SeatGeek. so if you are looking for a live event near you anytime soon um whether it's a sporting event a concert um some maybe a, a musical broadway show whatever um Take a look at SeatGeek and see if you can find some good deals on tickets there. If you use our code, the promo code 2padstackpod, that's 2-P-A-D-S-T-A-C-K-P-O-D, you can save $20 off your first purchase. Um, So yeah, we're going to go ahead and in the spirit of jumping into the good stuff right away, we're going to go ahead and send you over to the interview with Shane Malloy, right now. So uh sending it over to Bursch.
1: All right. And we're here with Shane Malloy of Sirius XM's NHL Network Radio's Hockey Prospect Radio Show. Thanks for taking the time to join us today, Shane. How are you? How are
2: you? I'm doing great. Just getting ready to hand up, head off to the CHL Top Prospects game in the next two days. And, you know, just watch that game with some mild interest um because it's really a one-off and it sometimes gets promoted as this huge event that has monumental um, value, but it really actually doesn't Um, not in terms from the NHL standpoint, from a marketing standpoint for the CHL it's massive from an NHL scouting perspective. It does not. And it's the one game where I recommend that GMs just don't show up. (laughs) Don't show up because you're actually going to cause more harm than good. So when I see the scouts in the next couple of days, the GMs the next couple of days, I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, you Absolutely. know, it's bad, you know bad for you to be here, right? Like, cause then they form, if they don't see the guys very often, they form a bias and a conclusion on a player. And, you know, sometimes that happens and sometimes they're really good about not doing that, but you know what human, we're all human beings. Sure. So we're all subject to that regardless.
1: Yeah. I feel like, I feel like uh like a one game, like sample size on something like that, you can really miss a lot of, you know, what a player actually is.
2: Sure. I mean, the advantage, I guess I have for that event, particularly, is do they do they have self-awareness of what, what their game really is? And do they play to that identity regardless? Uh, do they have a level of adaptability because you're thrown into the mix? And it's a way to separate skating as well a little bit when you have them as that collective group uh, so, that has some advantages. So, then you can just go back and watch film or see them live and go back and, and sort of retrace your steps again just to confirm some information. I think that's uh, valuable. And it's a chance to talk to them. So, you get downstairs and you get to like joke around with them, kind of figure out their personalities, and just to set that up for future conversations.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. So, so moving on here, I, I I'd like to get a little bit of your your background as, as how you got into this whole thing hosting your radio show and all that. Definitely interested to get into that.
2: <laughs> sure. Well, it's uh it's an interesting story. So, back in the late nineties. I bumped into a, a guy uh, who happened to be a former NHL scout and it was at the casino and there was another guy there as well, who had a bunch of websites and he said, Oh, you seem to know a lot about hockey. You want to write for my website? I'm like, sure. And this is back when the internet was just really sort of blowing up sort of like 98, 99 range. So I sort of do a little dabbling and writing for that. And then I uh, had the opportunity to start writing, uh, on different websites, kind of like two thousand and I just by circumstance happened to be living next door to a Finnish reporter who came from came over to cover the Calgary flames where I was living in Calgary at the time and he gave me a the handbook for the media and had access to everybody's names and numbers and email so I just started throwing I started emailing everybody about work writing for them on prospects. I just want to cover prospects and I eventually got a contract with uh, Fox sports. So I started covering prospects for them for a few years. And that was really the start, the impetus of, you know, talking about prospects, because that's at a time when no one cared about prospects no sure. one cared at all. Um, and so I met my co-host at the time, Russ Cohen at the 2001 draft in Florida and we started writing prospect stuff together. And he said, well, why don't you come on my show with me, right? We could talk about, pro- we could talk about this stuff and do events for the NHL. And this was called internet radio. Podcasting uh, yeah. didn't even exist. This is like kind of 2001 to 2004 era. So we did a lot of stuff for the NHL for their events. And then XM came into fruition and Sirius on the other side. And NHL um, had its own radio station. So we called some people we knew at the head, NHL head office And we were interested in doing a show. So they put us in touch with the program director at that time was Joe Thistle. Called Joe Thistle and said, hey, this is what our concept is. We want to do a show on prospects. Nobody talks about them. We just want to be the premier show on prospects. He goes, okay, we'll come in for a demo. So Russ drove from Philadelphia to Toronto, hooked me into the system. And I was living in Vancouver at the time. And we did 20 minutes a friend of ours came on the show as a guest, Gus Caceros, who now works at Sports Logic, And we did 20 minutes. He goes, that's great. You can start in two weeks. <laughs> and neither one of us knew anything about running a, a board in a radio show. We didn't know anything about writing scripts or intros or outros or knew anything about time clocks or nothing. I mean, we wow. knew nothing. And then I called up a friend of mine who was at uh, CKNW in Vancouver. And I said, hey, do you have a studio or I could use? For like a couple hours a week and he goes yeah we have an editing room and here's we made a, a deal i would come on their shows wouldn't charge them anything and i could use the editing and i went in an hour early and i got one of the tech guys to show me how to run the software and i listened to radio shows and wrote script and figured out the time and he showed me how to figure out the time clock and all the software and off we went we had no idea
1: Trial no, by we fire. T-
2: <laughs> we didn't tell anybody but we just get yeah, trial <laughs> by fire right we just sort of figured it out as we went and because we had known a lot of the NHL scouts and gyms and AGMs from being at the rink and, covering and following prospects because we never, Russ and myself, we rarely, almost never sat in the press box when we had credentials. I always sat in the corner of the rink with the other scouts
1: mm-hmm. because that's where you learn. Absolutely. Um,
2: even at NHL games, when I had credentials for the Canucks and the, and the Flames for a long time, you know we're looking at 17 years, I always asked the PR staff to put me beside the pro scouts so it'd be all the pro scouts and then there's me because that's where i would learn i go to ask questions and that's how i end up being mentored by the pro and amateur scouts is i would sit in the scouts media room with them and then i go sit beside them in games and the rule was you're not allowed to talk during the game you can you can ask questions in between like whistles or in between periods and that's how i try to figure out how to scout and If it wasn't for Craig Button, who was a GM in Calgary at the time, you know, I talked to him about what I was doing. He goes, oh, you got to learn how to scout. I'm like, well, how do you do that? Like, there's no manual. There's no school, right? He just gave me a basic template. I went to the Calgary Hitman Games when I first started, and I happened to bump into two gentlemen. One was Lauren Davies, who was a longtime scout for the Edmonton Oilers. The other was Patty Janelle. He was a longtime Western Hockey League coach and then was scouting for the St. Louis Blues. And they said, come sit beside us. So that, every time I saw those guys, I would sit beside them and I'd ask questions and i just try to learn different aspects of the game. And then I moved back to Vancouver and I did the same thing at the Vancouver Giants games. And I, sat, I always sat in the corner of the rink, never went to the press box. And that's where I learned, because I figured I was gonna learn to understand the game and prospects and evaluation. That would help me write and commentate about prospects more effectively because you're around the scouts, you're around player development, uh, you know, you're around the management so you can understand the whole cycle of like from initial evaluation all the way through, you know, into player development, into asset management. So that made a huge difference in my understanding. And I had a really great tip uh, from Mike Penny. who was a longtime scout for Toronto and the and the Vancouver Canucks. And he had said, the best thing you can do is go watch Junior A. And then the Western Hockey League and then the American Hockey League and the NHL all in the same week. Since you have credentials, you should do that. So for a good five year period, I watched each of those different leagues in the same week. Because what it helped you do is not have blinders on. It helped right, you exactly. Is this player at this you walk you watch a dub game and go, Oh, this kid's gonna be ready in two years. And then next night you go see like an AHL game. And you're like oh my god this kid's not even close <laughs> right and it helps you understand those different those different um times time stamps and st- and and those developmental steps for each of those players and it helps you understand with a better under, uh, a better clarity of how hard it is to play in the nhl cuz we make you know we really make a lot of assumptions of oh the kid's a second round pick so he should play in the nhl but if you look back at the historical numbers they're actually it's really really difficult like right. of of an any so you look at the salary cap error from 06 to 15, the average number of players that'll play more than two hundred games in the NHL is between fifty-eight and sixty. That's it.
1: Two That's rounds crazy when you look at it. Barely, yeah, there
2: were barely two rounds. We'll play two hundred games or more. So cause I've done I've done I have about three hundred plus pages of quantitative of researching each individual team and the league history past the salary cap. Now I had it prior, but then when the salary cap came in, it didn't really matter because all the valuations of players and the value of players change when you have a hard cap. So I started really, again, digging in deep of that. And I don't know if you've heard, they there's this model that a lot of people end up using. is called, you know, 200 plus games and five plus mm-hmm. years. Well, I ended up building that model back in 2007. I started writing a series of articles about um, top 10 Prospects or top 20 prospects, plus some draft evaluation for TSN and Sportsnet up in Canada. And that's the model I used. And it's based on cognitive performance and the maturation of the human brain development from ages kind of 16, 17 to 23. And then 200 plus games is based on behavioral economics. And it was the point where NHL GMs and AGMs became became comfortable with how many games played they were and how much they would pay those players. So that's why I end up using that model. And it just provides you a foundational piece to do other research and to look at how efficient teams really are in terms of drafting and developing and how difficult it actually is. The league average is only 25 and a half percent, 25% of the time you're going to find a player in the draft, you're going to draft them, develop them, that they'll turn into an NHL player. That's it. And the bottom ends around in the teens and the top end you're sort of looking at about 38 to 40%. Um, from that time period of 06 to 15 and then I have another study that's from sort of 16 to 20 that's still moving parts because player development is actually so slow. It's very very Right, slow. absolutely. You know. And a lot and, a lot
1: of the casual fans don't understand understand that either. Like you you're talking about like the human brain and the maturation of a player. A lot of like people that are just watching the the, the team and being fans of a team don't really get what goes on behind the scenes. Like myself personally, I'm pretty green when it comes to you know knowing the prospects in the league and outside of you know the the ones that are with the Boston Bruins. But it the casual fan doesn't get in that deep, and it's crazy to, you know to hear you talk about all this and to see what really goes into you know identifying these players and paying and like you said, the GMs determining what they're going to pay these guys.
2: It's uh, amateur is the hardest job in hockey more harder than playing because you're trying to project a 17, 18, 18 year old kid into a 23 year old man. Right. And all the things that go along with that in terms of identifying him at that stage where you have to make a decision whether you draft him or not. And then you have a whole developmental cycle from that 18 year old to 23 um, age range. And why I use 23 is the human, the frontal lobe of the human brain for males finishes developing around 24, sometimes 25. But usually it's around 24. It's why car insurance companies drop their rates at 25. Mm-hmm. We're basically less likely to make ridiculous, stupid decisions because your frontal lobe of your brain, that's for higher reasoning and decision-making processes. You know, your mental path, your neural pathways are more solidified. Because prior to that, you know, you remember what you were like you 18? And I remember what I was, <laughs> like. I was yeah. like. I was a hairless monkey. Um, so that's where you have to be really cognizant of understanding that prospects are going to be inconsistent and it's normal and it's mm-hmm. really rare for the young, for the 18 and 19 year olds to come into the NHL and be consistent like the Sidney Crosby's or the McDavids of the world or even Patrice Bergeron when he came in at a really young age that's really really rare that's not the norm we're talking about the 1 2 percentile of mm-hmm. the players that are drafted and of the players that actually play in the NHL of that 60 50 to 60 players i talked about it's really only two or 3% of those players that do that. And everybody else is thrown into that mix. And for most part, if you're a general fan, you have to be patient and just expect them not to make it until they're 22 or 23. That's normal. The average right. age of a rookie is 22.9 years of age, draft plus five, right? So if anybody comes earlier, like some players that have come up recently, that's a bonus. That's totally gravy. It's a, it's like, it's anomaly. Don't worry about it. Cause everybody else is going to be draft plus four or draft plus five. And that's, that's okay. Cause that's what it normally is.
1: Absolutely. So it's a good segue right there. I'd love to get your thoughts on Matty Patra That's come up for the Boston Bruins this year. Second round pick young kid kind of yeah. came in, took, took the team by storm with, uh, you know, filling in the shoes of Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci leaving this year. And I'm not saying he's going to be the, the same player that, that they are, but he's come in and done a very nice job for the Bruins.
2: Well, it was accelerated development that even surprised the Boston Bruins as well as myself. And I've had, you know, I have Jamie Langerbrunner, their assistant general manager, on my show on a regular basis. And Jamie and I had that, you know, open discussion of it even surprised us. And, you know, in that conversation we were talking about was what was really interesting about his game is ignore what he does with the puck and look what he does off puck. Because you got to you think about it from this perspective Of a 60-minute game, how many minutes do you play? Like, say for him, say it's 15. Mm -hmm. That's only a quarter of the game. Of those 15 minutes, how many minutes do you have the puck? He might only have it for a minute and 12 seconds. Right. right? Which is only 2% of an entire entire game of 60-minute game. So what are you doing the other 98% when you don't have the puck to help your team win? So it's all based on his off-puck play there's not a chance he's playing in the NHL if his off puck play isn't at an NHL caliber. And that's the part that surprised everybody, including me that that was so advanced in a really short period of time. Cause that usually takes people a long time. Cause it, there is a level of consistency that you have to have in that part of your game to be, to play at the NHL level and for your coaching staff to trust you. And that Absolutely. was to me is the difference between him playing and not playing in the NHL. So that's where I say he's a rarity. Like, he is not the norm. Um, But expect hiccups in his game. Oh, absolutely. And this is going to happen not only this year, but it's going to happen in the sophomore season, and it's going to happen in his third season. So if you think it's going to be the linear linear uptick every year, he's going to get that much better, I wouldn't expect that. I expect plateaus. And then... A tiny regression, then a couple steps forward, then a plateau, then a regression, then a couple more steps forward. And it's going to be kind of like that for the next two to three years as because every time and every time he gets a little bit older and he plays more games, he gets in the next season, more responsibilities heaped on him. Right. And then that's where the plateaus and the dips happen because he's trying to adjust to those situations.
1: Absolutely. And you know, the Bruins have another young player, Fabian Lysel, who hasn't had that accelerated, you know, ascension to the NHL. I was curious to get your thoughts on what, what you think about him as a player or should Bruins fans be worried about him being no. a contributor? Or is no, it still too I early? would
2: not be worried about him at all. Like he was drafted in 2021. So he's 20 years old, exactly. right? And he's playing in the American hockey league. So if you're there at 20 and you're contributing and it's a league where it allows you to a certain degree to experiment and it al- and allows you to de- – is a developmental league to a certain degree. And he's in that position, so I'm not worried about him at all. Uh, one of the main things is, look, he's a playmaker and a scorer. He has that dual threat ability. So it's really about that being consistent. Like, of him starting to recognize what I can and can't get away with versus AHL and NHL defensemen because there are some NHL defensemen that are playing in the, in the AHL that are NHL caliber. So what, how, how can I handle those guys? What, you know, what things can I do in these situations where it becomes habit, where I'm not thinking about the game. And then it's just off puck play, of course, you know, and that has to be to a level that has to be at least average. He doesn't have to be great. Just like for his skill set, as long as he's average, because he's a winger, he's not going to be asked to, be a heavy lifter in the defensive game as a forward. Right. Now there are certain things he's going—they're going to ask him to do based on his skill set. You know, you can be—you know—provide a lot of back pressure because you have speed and you have skill and you know how to angle. So you know, help your defense out in that respect and hound pucks. But you know, he's not expected to go into the corners and bang bodies and dig out pucks, and that's just not his game. He'll go in there, but you no, know, don't expect him to win. But I wouldn't be worried. He—he's doing very well at this stage of development, and I don't the boston bruins and the Prov- and providence bruins are one of the franchises that i rarely concern myself with in terms of their consistency because if you look at throughout their history and their and their long relationship with providence they're one of the top 8 teams or top 10 teams in the league at drafting developing consistent consistently and i talked about that time frame of 06 to 15 and if you look in that time frame the boston bruins if i look at my numbers now they were the 10th most efficient team of getting players to play more than 200 games in the NHL. They had 64 draft picks, 19 become NHL players to play more than 200 games, which is uh, about a 29.68% yeah. efficiency, which is much higher than average. Now, average is around 25, 26%. And that doesn't seem like a lot. That 3%, 4% doesn't seem like a lot, but that's the difference between probably three players, potentially four players in a decade. So think about you got three extra players comparative to other people, players, teams in your division. That's a lot. Right. Like right? That's three extra players. And that could be a second line forward, a third line forward and a number four D. Well, you didn't have to go into free agency to get those players and you have to trade for them. So that's a massive boon to your organization.
1: Absolutely. And we talk about, talk about the Bruins having a great development system in place. We are the two pad stack. We are big on the goalies. We've, had a very, very fortunate – we've been very fortunate here in Boston for the last decade and a half with our goaltending. With the guys that they've grown out, like a Tuka Rask, a Tim Thomas.
2: And, yeah, and they traded for and they've just been patient with.
1: Absolutely. And then they get Linus Olmark and they've drafted and developed Jeremy Swayman. Seems like you can just pump them out, you know, at will. It seems like it's it's felt that way. Even the guys that they've brought in in free agency, like Yarrow Halak, Anton Hudovic, they've been effective goaltenders here and have actually gone elsewhere and gotten paid. I want to get your thoughts on a young Bruins goalie in the system now, Brandon Boosie. Do, do you think that he has shown enough to maybe fight for a spot in a couple of years to be on, at least on an NHL roster, or is it still too early on him?
2: Too early to say. Uh, I certainly think he could earn his way on there. Uh, and I think that, you know, Boston Bruins will certainly give him the opportunity to continue to grow. It's just more of a challenge for goaltenders because there's, uh, there's a really small, small margin for error when it comes to goaltenders. And as much as we talk about the technical game now, I'm not a goalie scout. Now my co-host Brad Allen is a goalie scout, but one of the factors and we could talk about the technical side of of goaltending, but 90% of it's mental. And oh, it's yeah. the ability to be, you know, mentally resilient. And it, and sometimes I think that that term gets uh, misunderstood. And what it really means is you know, when you talk about being too high or too low, it's the ability to, if you're too high, is to get back to your equilibrium, your middle, as quickly as possible. And same if you're low. Quickly, you get back to that even keel, it's just where you need to be. And for goaltenders, you have to have the memory of a goldfish. It has to be forget about it and move on to the next play. For goaltending, it has to be so process-oriented that it's just your only concern is about the next play. Doesn't matter now what happened before because you can't mm-hmm. do anything about it. So the, there, there's you have to be even more so than players. You have to be process oriented over results oriented. You actually have to ignore the results because that, you know, that causes pressure. It's one of the misconceptions of what pressure really is too, is, you know, pressure is self-inflicted and it's based on the fact that your focus is on the result and not the process. So you have to j- ignore the results because the results will happen regardless. So you just got to focus on process. So I think if this young goaltender can kind of continue on that path, and the Bruins, because they have the two goaltenders up front under contract, that they they what they've done is they bought themselves time, because that's Mm -hmm. the most valuable asset in hockey operations is time. So they've given themselves time to allow themselves to groom and grow and develop other goaltenders, while these other two can just you know push the team along into potential playoff success.
1: Absolutely. Like I said, we've been very fortunate with the, with the goaltenders that we've had here for the last at least decade and a half. Um, One final question for you. And I don't know if you'll have an answer, but we'll see of all the players still sitting for the Bruins in the college ranks. I don't expect you to to know every one of them, but the college junior ranks, is there a prospect that stands out for you for the Bruins that maybe somebody that we might want to be excited about in a couple of years?
2: Hmm. Interesting. Um, as I'm looking through my list, who jumps out at me? You know, I'm actually, I'm really curious to actually, and this isn't necessarily like this, this might surprise you a little bit, but Dan's lock Millis. I'm actually curious to see what he does at UMass. Um, you know, I have, I'll be honest, I have a little bit of an affinity for the Latvians uh, one, cause they're great fans and two, they're really hardworking players. And this is his first year at UMass. He's, he's a freshman. He's got seven points in 15 games. And I think he might turn into a Swiss, a good Swiss army knife type of um, he's a centerman, but he has versatility to play in the wing. And, you know, I got a chance to see him play in Sweden at the world, at the world juniors. Again, I got three goals in six games. And I think there's enough there where over time he could end up being a nice utility player for the Boston Bruins. And They do a really good job of finding those kind of players. Mm -hmm. Those Swiss army knife type players that can play in a lot of different positions. Coaches love those guys because they have some versatility. So he's the guy that I would be curious to, to watch over the next, you know, three years. Cause I think he's going to play three, he'll play three years at UMass before coming out. So he's got two more years at UMass after this, you know, finish up this season. So yeah, hopefully the Latvian makes it.
1: Awesome. Well, we're at about twenty-four minutes here. I uh, figure we can wrap this up, Shane. I just want to extend a thank you to you for taking the time to talk with me today. Ace sends his thanks as well. Obviously, Ace couldn't make it to this interview, but he sends his thanks, and we'd love to have you on again. Maybe, maybe in a you know six months or so. Maybe around draft time, we'll see. You know, I know everything gets busy, but we'd love to have you back on again to chat Bruins prospects with you. So again, thank you for taking the time to talk chat with us.
2: Anytime. And yeah, call me before the draft. And uh, I don't know if I can give, give you any trade secrets to the Boston Bruins. They're pretty quiet about that, but we can certainly update you on the current prospects I have.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks again and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. We appreciate it.
2: Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.
1: Excellent.
0: Yeah. So I hope you guys enjoyed the interview as much as I did. Um, it was really insightful to listen to, and we hope to have Shane Malloy on again. Um, if you want to follow him, Um, please go ahead and uh, do so. You can find him at Shane Malloy on Twitter. And uh, his uh, other account, uh, Hockey Prospect Radio. So you can also tune in if you are a SiriusXM subscriber. His show is on the uh, SiriusXM NHL Network radio channel on the weekends. So definitely tune in and get some really powerful insights. He has uh, some really good interviews on his radio show as well. So um, once again, thanks, Shane. And, and we hope to have you on again uh, on the show here soon. Um, but uh, before. You know, we kind of go into some of the other stuff that was going on. I'd love to kind of just break down the week that was for the Boston Bruins. So um, last week, it was uh, you know really nice to see the bees play some top tier teams and play really really well. Uh, they hosted the New Jersey Devils, and Jeremy Swayman posted a three nothing shutout. Doesn't get much better than that. Um, and you know, obviously the Devils are a well regarded offensive club. Um, they're considered to be on the upswing and a lot of analysts thought that they would be one of the top teams in the league in the East this year and that that taste of the postseason against the Rangers Uh, and uh, you know what they did last year is a was got a great launching point for a serious year of contention this year unfortunately it just hasn't quite worked out that way yet they're having a hard time keeping the puck out of their net, which is uh, always a challenge for a young team that doesn't have that established culture and established uh, legacy of success uh, on understanding what it takes to play the right way and getting uh, the results that they need. So, um, you know, and they were obviously missing Jack Hughes, too, in that game, which is a big offensive catalyst for their club. So um, their loss is the Boston Bruins game, and uh, that was a wonderful 3 nothing win. Um, and then it didn't get much easier. You know, they had the Colorado avalanche coming into town. The Avs are widely regarded as one of the top teams in the league. And, you know, many analysts throughout hockey media have thought that, you know, the young core, uh, that they have with Rantanen, McKinnon, Kale McCarr, all those guys that, uh, you know, they certainly should be getting more than just one cup win that they got, and uh, a lot of people are thinking that the Avs may be one of the teams that are heavily contending coming out of the West, You know, whether it's Vegas, Winnipeg, uh, Edmonton, or Colorado. Generally speaking, one of those four teams are going to be representing the Western Conference in the Cup Final. Um, so a lot of that, I was listening to SiriusXM NHL Network radio that morning, and I was listening into uh, Hockey Tonight on NHL Network, And they were all saying, oh, that Boston-Colorado game, that's the game of the night. That's the game I'm going to be keeping my eyes on because it could be a a good maybe hint as to what a Stanley Cup final could look like. Um, And I really thought that the Bruins did marvelously in that game. They really mitigated Colorado's speed well, and Colorado wasn't really able to generate a whole lot offensively. So um, there was still a couple flashes where, you know, Rantanen did his thing and McKinnon was tearing down the wing with a lot of speed that was definitely a little intimidating but the Bruins did a good job of uh containing and funneling those dangerous areas or those dangerous plays into not so dangerous areas um and allowed Jeremy Swayman to be as successful as he could be and you know it was a really uh, really good effort by the team and uh it was great to see them come out with a 5-2 win uh and then I made my triumphant return to TD Garden I was uh at the game uh against Montreal um bees ended up pulling that one out nine to four but man in the first two periods i was a little nervous because uh, every time the bees would score a goal like montreal would score immediately after and i mean hell montreal actually scored first um but uh it was a, it was a lot of fun i ended up going with my brother jeff and uh, we met up at uh, uh night shift brewery uh brewing uh right on the water before I love Joy Wharf and uh, had a couple brewskis, had a little snack, and it was a good time, man. Like, uh, just whenever you can catch a Habs game in Boston, especially when the Bees are winning, it's a beautiful thing. And when we went up by seven to four, or whatever, I looked at my brother to my right. And he's like, We're doing it. He's like, "What? We're doing what? Oh, we're going to do the Ola chant. I'm going to start it right here. And he's like, Oh, yeah, we're going to do it. And then I looked at the booze bags to my left. Great guys, they were a lot of fun, uh, but I'm pretty sure that they were one beer away from urinating themselves in in the uh, in the stands there. But I look at them and I was like, "We're doing it." They're like, "We're doing what? We're doing the ole 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 chant." Oh, okay. I don't know what that is. I was like, "You'll figure it out real quick." But you'll you'll it's it's really simple. So PA announcer finally finishes announcing the goal. We'll score it at X amount of time, X minutes. And you hear the, woo. And I just looked at them like, all right, it's time. I put my hands to my face. Olé, 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 olé. And just hearing it pick up from my right and to my left and hearing it kind of envelop TD Garden, it was a a pretty cathartic experience, like, uh, and whenever you get to start a channel like that, it, it definitely pumps you up a little bit. So uh, yeah, I'm proud to say that I was the one that started the uh, the first and the second Ole 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 chant at, uh, at the Garden on Saturday. And I think it was the first time I've ever been to a Bruins game where they scored more than eight goals or so, like nine goals at TD Garden. That's that's electric. Like you can go three games without seeing that many goals. And uh you know, it was uh, it was really cool to see. All of, all of a sudden, it feels like the Boston Bruins are an offensive juggernaut. They're just grinding these teams away. I mean, you score five against Colorado, you scored nine against Montreal. Um, you know, what's going to be the biggest obstacle for you once you're rolling like that? I don't know. What about like one of the best defensive teams in the league, in the Winnipeg Jets? Jets are widely regarded now as one of the top contenders in the Western Conference. Bruins already went into Winnipeg and got the absolute. Piss kicked out of them. Like the Jets dominated that Bruins in that game in October, and uh, the Bruins couldn't hold a candle to that, you know, four line wave after wave grinding style that the Jets were doing. Um, But uh, they came into Boston, and, uh, you know, admittedly, they were missing Gabe Villardi and Mark Shifley, which are two really important cogs for their offense. But uh, the Boston Bruins did a good job of mitigating them. I think they were like only up to like nine shots or something through the halfway point of the game. And, uh, you know, when you do that, you're, you're going to be, uh, in line for a pretty productive evening. So, uh, shout out to the bees for playing against some really top tier quality opponents in the last week, except for Montreal, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, shout out to them to getting, getting the job done. Like Bruins right now are on a five game winning streak and You know, they easily, based on the quality of the opponents they were up against, they could have dropped any of those, you know. Um, So it was a really good week, and uh, I think that uh, they're trending in the right direction to continue being considered a a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. Um, For the week that is coming, though, we have a little bit of an interesting week. So it looks like there's going to be, by the time we chat again, there's going to be three games on the schedule. Uh, The Bees are hosting the Carolina Hurricanes uh tomorrow night that is uh on the 24th of january wednesday and uh that'll be an interesting game for me because uh AI have tickets to it but i don't think i'm gonna go i'm trying to sell the tickets i just i can't go down to another game so if you're interesting and you listen if you're interested and you're listening today and you want to buy the tickets uh section 308 row 14 uh i have a couple i'll sell them for like 175 for the pair <laughs> otherwise if you're listening afterwards i hope i sold them uh but uh yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting game. Uh, Dmitry Orlov is returning to the TD Garden. Obviously, he didn't spend a lot of time with the Boston Bruins, but he was part of that electric team, and I think that you know, we had a we had a few decent memories with Dmitry Orlov. Like, I was incredibly surprised at how effective he was. Like, I I, I legitimately considered him a top tier, a top pair defenseman, like alongside you know, who else are some of the premier offensive defensemen like John Carlson and those types of guys? Um, you know, not not like McCarr or Fox or anything like that, but, you know, I thought Orlov was really strong and, you know, it really reminds me of when the Bees went on that West trip after the trade deadline and Orlov came in there and he scored like three goals in three games and he had the absolute cannon of a slap shot. It was, it was just electric. Everybody's calling him Bobby Orlov and you know, I, I really wanted to keep him, but there was no way with the cap situation that the Bruins are going to be able to retain his services. And you know, he signs a fat deal in Carolina. And you know, I've got some friends that are Carolina Hurricanes fans, and they were not stoked at that deal, especially with how Dmitry Orlov was playing to start the season. It, I guess it was not good, and his his underlying metrics were not great. But you know, uh, he's a fun player to watch, and it'll be interesting to see him back, especially now that we got a taste of what he was like as a Boston Bruin. So, um, hurricanes visit tomorrow and then the Bruins are immediately hitting the road and they're going to be visiting the, uh, feisty Ottawa senators on the 25th. Um, that's a fun team to watch. You know, they actually just got Shane Pinto back from his suspension. Uh, Pinto was suspended, I think 42 games or something like that for sports betting. You know, the NHL takes a very, uh, serious, uh, stance against that. You know, there was some, rumors that pinto was using like a proxy or whatever to make his bets to, to hide uh his activity um which is a no-no obviously the nhl wants to know if you're making sports bets to ensure that they're able to monitor that you're not supported uh, betting on you know the nhl itself so um it's the first time like all season last game for the Sens that they had their top three centermen in the lineup and uh you know admittedly i know that they expect more this year. Um, the Sens ended up just losing uh, their coach DJ Smith because he didn't produce enough wins for what the franchise is looking for. Um, but uh, it's a fun team to watch, man. Like they play with snarl, they play with a little bit of tenacity. They play play the game in a really entertaining way. And I mean, what what would you expect? Like you don't expect anything less from a team that has Brady Kachuk on it, right? So it'll be interesting to see how the bees handle it. They'll be on the second half of a back to back. Like I mentioned, um, maybe have to deal with some, some tired legs from travel and that game against the hurricanes. But, uh, you know, it'll be definitely pretty interesting to see what happens. Uh, I hope Derek Forbort and Trent Frederick are ready for maybe some uh, post whistle shenanigans that will occur in that game. But, um, but yeah, it was uh it's definitely something that will be entertaining to watch and then speaking of post-whistle shenanigans the uh you know they'll get a day off after the game on the 25th against the Senators and then the Bruins are going into their final game before the all-star break and they're visiting John Tortorella's Philadelphia Flyers and can we just talk about how awesome it is to see how the Flyers are suddenly relevant again like the NHL is a better place it's a better league it's a better product when the Philadelphia Flyers are good Now I don't. You can say whatever you want about Philadelphia fans. You know I have my opinions, but you know that team is fun to watch, and they they definitely put together a really compelling product. And I think back of an interview I was I was listening to previously. I think it was on on NHL Network Radio, who I've talked about them a lot today. They they have some really great content, some really great storytellers. But um, they were talking about how Ed Snyder, the former owner of the Flyers, how he was talking about how he will not allow his team to ever be pushed around on the ice again. And admittedly, um, you know, rest in peace, Mr. Snyder, but he's not with us anymore. And he's not obviously part of the ownership team anymore. That's, it's like Comcast or whatever now, but that culture that he instilled in the club, that community, that camaraderie that the Flyers culture has, um, it very much still remains today. And you can see it like in guys like, uh, you know, um, Travis connecty and make, can I just say, like, what an awesome Bruin Travis Konechny would be? Like, he's just got a little bit of everything. It's like uh, it's like when Professor X made the Powerpuff Girls, you know, a secret ingredient of, of Chemical X, but sugar, spice, everything. Just the perfect formula, right? You know, Travis Konechny is a legitimate star forward in regards to scoring. He's also a guy that'll get right in your face and mix it up and stare it up and and cause some some drama and uh, i don't know man it's it's a compelling product that the flyers have over there um also seeing sean couturier return for the flyers after missing like a year and a half with an injury and still being a very productive and effective two-way centerman like it's really great to see what they're doing over there. And I, I'm really happy to see the flyers better. It's not really a team I'd want to face in the postseason just because of the way they play. And you know, they, they even have old friend Garnet Hathaway. So it's going to be like a, a reunion with all of those guys from the Washington trade. We'll see Orlov and then we'll see Hathaway immediately after. And I know Shan and a bunch of other Bruins fans will be very happy to see Garnet Hathaway on the ice again. But, uh, um, yeah there there's your look at the uh the week that is. Uh only three games on the docket. Um then the Boston Bruins will be heading up well not all of them but uh, Jeremy Swayman, David Pasternak, and Jimmy Montgomery will be heading up to to Toronto for the All-Star game and you know usually I would not be super stoked with the all-star event coming up but uh i'm really actually intrigued for this one and i think it's because they're changing the format you know they're not trying to involve everybody in the skills competition they're trying to highlight the actual skilled players which is good um as had mentioned there's like a, a million dollar check on the table there so they're actually playing for something um but the, like we said before man i'm not stoked for those jerseys they look like they look like a snapchat filter on the bottom of a blue jersey or whatever it's uh it's pretty rough. But uh, what can you expect from a, a star that's a big Maple Leafs fan? And Justin Bieber can't really say that I had big expectations. But um, yeah, so that's the the week that is. Um, let's go ahead and send you over to our hat trick with Patrick for this week. So we'll have a, once again a trio of picks for you to choose from. Um, if you are a sports betting enthusiast, make sure you follow these picks, and uh, you can keep Pat uh on his toes and and make sure that uh you know we're giving you good advice and if we're not you can let us know as well so we'll send you over there right now to the hat trick with patrick
3: good morning good afternoon and good evening to pat stack fans and welcome back to the two pad stack patrick with patrick i am patrick we are seven and five so far after two and one last week And now these are the picks for Tuesday, January 23rd. Let's make some money. First, we will go to the money line. That's going to be the New York Islanders hosting the Vegas Golden Knights, 130. Vegas is coming off of a back-to-back. Meanwhile, the Islanders had a day of rest. Second, we will go to the puck line and the New York Rangers, minus 1.5 at San Jose, minus 135. Simply put, the Sharks stink. Rangers look to continue rolling. And finally, we will go to our over under, and that's going to be the Dallas Stars at Detroit Red Wings, over six and a half goals. Both teams tend to put up points, and I'll look for that to happen yet again. That is minus 115. Thank you. Two pad stack fans, fans of the ha- two pad stack hat trick with Patrick. I am Patrick and let's make some money.
0: All right. So there's your picks. Yeah. Um, once again, I'm not jumping on those. Uh, I don't really do the whole sports betting thing much, but I probably will at some point when I, you know, have some time to myself and can mess around with this stuff. Too busy with school and shit right now. But yeah, go ahead and follow Poolside Pat. Uh, Who runs the hat trick with Patrick segment? Um, You can find him at poolside, P O O L S I D E, Pat, P A T, and the number one. And you can follow him on Twitter right there. So um, thanks, Pat. And, uh, you know, before we wrap up here today, there's a few things I want to kind of touch on before. Um, It was actually a lot of fun. I uh, went to practice on Wednesday with Amelia, and she was out there killing it, you know, skating really hard. And, you know, she's so competitive, and I had like i said previously i had another coach it was like you know she's ready man like she's ready for tryouts like tryouts are coming up in about a month and uh it'll be really cool to see how we can go ahead and keep her going and and keep her you know really into the sport like she's telling me that she still really loves it but there's uh apparently a, a outdoor rink that was just set up in my town so there'll be some free ice time we can get out there and skate and pass a puck around which will be a lot of fun but on wednesday basically last week when we recorded i got a message on facebook saying you know ace we are in dire need of a goalie you know our our time slot nobody other none of the other goalies are able to show up and we only have one so we're not going to go if we don't have a second goalie is there a way you can help and i was like man twist my arm a little bit right you know it's been a hot second i've kind of wanted to get back in the net so i did it Went out into the garage, grabbed my goalie bag, made sure I did a, a quick inventory check to see how everything was and make sure I still had everything. And sure enough, it was all there. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. And I get out there and started to get dressed. And I forgot how hard it is when you have a beer belly like I do to get your goalie gear on. So finally get all my stuff on. My suspenders break on my pants. So I'm out there on the ice and my pants are falling down. And if you if you didn't know, watching a goalie, you know between saves having to pull his pants up it's pretty fucking hilarious to see so um gotta make sure if i uh if i play more i gotta buy new pants and if and if y'all are listening uh, that are goalies and you have any recommendations on brands or whatever um send them my way i would love to know your your thoughts but uh i still got it baby man like i had a couple like beautiful cross crease saves gloves windmill and had the uh had the barn going oh save the night oh it was uh it was just great man it was great to be back in the crease and uh, unfortunately the day after the day after that my body's like yeah man you can't do that much anymore like you're using muscles you haven't used in a long time and like my knees were screaming at me and my back was it's what happens when you're old right so i did also take a puck off the wrist above the blocker i've got like a massive bruise on my arm yeah, it's, uh, it's good to be back, baby. Um, but yeah, there's... Uh, you know, back to the Boston Bruins, I wanted to kind of talk about a couple things before we wrap here. Uh, can we just say that Jake DeBrusque has looked amazing lately? Like, I was before on record saying that, you know, he's obviously not had the same offensive production that we come to expect of him. But he's naturally a streaky player, right? He's always been that way in his career. But uh, he was it's not like he wasn't trying, right? You know, he had some really good underlying numbers on the offensive side of things. Or, or I mean, uh, on the defensive side of things, he was generating, um, you know, turnovers with his back check. He was putting himself in the right place to mitigate offensive chances for the opposition. Um, he was still playing good hockey. He just wasn't getting the offense, but in the last couple of weeks, last week or so, that's a different Jake DeBrusque. Like he seems motivated and he's skating hard. He's creating, uh offense. He's driving play on his line and it's really, really good to see. I uh selfishly kind of hope that Don Sweeney can use his slower production at the first half of the year to maybe drive down that price because I do want Jacob Debrusque re-signed and, and retained on this team at this point. Um and uh I think that uh you know with how much cap space that we already have going into the offseason you know we can we can afford to sign jake at a, at a relatively fair price but i would like to maximize the amount of space that they have to go shopping and and supplement this club for next year um in addition to jake looking really good lately uh friend of the show morgan geeky man like he's he's producing a lot as well and he's looking good out there and the one thing that i love about morgan's game is that you know he plays like a gritty hard-nosed style of hockey and uh you know that's not just it he'll also surprise you with like flashes of brilliance on, on how he can handle the puck and make plays and he has good vision and he's able to distribute the puck pretty well. And, um, it's been a lot of fun to watch him so far this year. And and it's, uh, it's, it's like another feather in Don Sweeney's cap because I, I don't think he's going to get enough credit, but, uh, you know, everyone thought the Bruins are going to take a massive step back. Right. And, and that's not too crazy of a thought to say based on what's going on with this club. Um, but Don Sweeney was able to go out there and sign Kevin Shattenkirk, who's played big minutes for us already on a really low AAV deal one year. Um, He went out and signed James Van Riemsdijk, who was probably the best dollar-for-dollar contract signed out of anyone in the offseason. And then he goes out and signs Morgan Geeky, You know, those first two players are older veteran players that can still contribute at the NHL level. Morgan Geeky was only 24 at the time of signing, and he got a two-year deal at a very reasonable cap hit. And it is looking like more just absolute genius, shrewd business by the Boston Bruins to pick up Morgan Geeky and give him an opportunity to play in the black and gold. So, um yeah, really love what Geeky's bringing lately. Really love what Jake DeBrusque is bringing lately. Really love what Trent Frederick is bringing lately too, which I never thought I would say. Not the biggest Frederick guy, but he's really taken a big step forward this year, and it's been important with uh, with those guys leaving in Crecci and Bergeron that we need to have some more talent that are homegrown, that knows what it takes to be a Boston Bruin and to play the right way. And Freddie's really doing that. So. um Yeah, so before we wrap, guys, just want to remind you that we do have an event coming up this Saturday, the 27th, at Backhill Beer in Rochester, New Hampshire. We will be having the uh, Boston Bruins watch party. So we'll have the uh, Boston Bruins game up on the projector, have some really awesome beers, have some really cool people to talk hockey with. Everyone there will be really uh, into hockey, so it'll be a good time. And, uh, you know, Burge and I will be recording the podcast right there at the brewery post game. So um, we'll be taking listener questions, might even have some interviews, that kind of stuff. It'll be a lot of fun. So uh, once again, that is uh, uh, Saturday, January 27th. The event starts at noon, puck drops at like 1230. Um, We'll be recording post game. The address is 73 Pickering Road in Rochester, New Hampshire. Uh, It's also known as GONIC, if that helps in your GPSs. Um, But yeah, we would love to see you there. Love to talk some puck with you and uh, we appreciate your support as always. So thank you very much for tuning into episode 25 of the two pad stack podcast. Uh, We will go ahead and see you next time. Peace.